Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. And we'll, do, we'll discuss this later. We're behind schedule here already. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Come on, guys. So, chop, chop. Let's get this show on the road. No, no. If the show's on the road, then we're in trouble. <laughs> There's a lot of traffic out there, Kevin. We're heading to Timbuktu. Could be worse. <laughs> Really? <laughs> I am Robert M. Price. I'm Dr. Daryl Ray. And- Hi, I'm Karen Lumley Care. Hi, I'm Aaron Roy. Hi, I'm Marissa Alexa McCool. Hi, I'm Jerry DeWitt. Hi, this is David Smalley from Dogma Debate. Hi, this is Dan Barker. Hi, I'm John McComb from The John McComb Show. Hi, I'm Dr. Drance. Hi, I'm Richard Carrier. Hi, I'm Rhonda Tyson. Hi, I'm Seth Andrews. I'm host of The Thinking Atheist. Hey, guys, I'm Kara Santa Maria. Hi, I'm David Fitzgerald. Hi, I'm Brian Keith Dalton. Hi, this is Tom and Cecil from Cognitive Distance, and we took a left of the valley. We did take a left of the valley. And a <laughs> wrong turn in Albuquerque. And then <laughs> like, the left of the valley goes right to a glory hole. It's it like right to a glory hole. <laughs> I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an uh, coming at you from Secret Lair in BC, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and I thought wearing glasses would make me look smarter. Then someone told me I need a stronger prescription. <laughs> Joining me as usual is the team that established that a severed foot is indeed the best stocking stuffer. <laughs> she asked her North Korean friend how, how it was there, and her friend replied she couldn't complain. Nancy. <laughs> literally. Oh. Literally couldn't complain. Oh. Oh. <laughs> My goodness. Well, at least that didn't put me in the in the position of having to defend myself in any way, shape, or form. Thank you. Thank you for that one, Kevin. <laughs> and he's given up on a macho physique, and now he's going for strong, independent woman, Scott. Woo! <laughs> um, she spent a year looking for her ex-killer, but nobody wants to do it, Christine. <laughs> How come nobody wants to murder me in cold blood? <laughs> now you, your you ex. Oh, sorry, my ex. Wow, I'm not awake yet, guys. And it may be the wine talking, <laughs> but she really, 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 really likes wine. Kirsten. <gasps> I think you have that mixed up. I'm the one who likes wine. It doesn't matter. Nobody knows. Now they do. Started on coffee. The wine, like three the minutes wine the really show likes just... her. <laughs> <laughs> guys, welcome back. <laughs> Uh, we're going to have an interesting show today. We're going to be talking to the boys from uh, Politicoast. Woo-hoo. That should be interesting. And our old friend Ian Bushfield. But first, we got lots of stuff to cover. So let's do some chit-chat. Uh, did you guys hear that uh, apparently the Alberta Conservatives... You know, the... Uh, where is it? Okay. The Conservatives in Alberta are warning that a pot... Legalizing pot might lead to a communism. <laughs> so I think we should get into the movie. What? Uh, I don't. What? 
<laughs> How do they connect to that? Well, you know, this is uh, Ron Orr. He's the culture and tourism critic. And uh, he says the, the link between pot and opium use, because pot is a plant, and opium, opium is also a plant. So he says, uh, because opium is it's a flower, so it, it, which led to the Chinese Revolution because of opium use, and yeah. thinks that, you know, this is what's going to happen here. I, I don't think he understands the, like, actual, like, potency of pot versus opium. No, I don't the, think he understands that at all. But either way, you know, you can always rely on the conservatives. Yep. Oh, I, I, I just love when the conservatives do these things, like, using X will lead to Y. It's like, <laughs> oh, wait a minute, what, wait a minute, what, wait a minute. What, so we're talking about a Alberta conservatives. Right? Yes. Wait a minute. So in in history, I mean, we had assholes running governments like <laughs> Hitler and Mussolini, and 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 in Alberta they have assholes running the government like the conservatives. Well, the, oh. right now it's the NDP though. Oh, is it? He's a, yeah. Oh, he's see, a, he's well, a they a have friend. conservatives in government. So if they vote them in, are we going to end up with with World War Four? <laughs> God knows. God knows. Like. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 all funny, all that. But something cause and demand, spe- or cause and demand, cause effect, <laughs> <laughs> cause and effect. I mean, come on. Speaking of uh, interesting things, also that happened in, uh, on the international scale. Did you guys hear about this Bosnian Croat general uh, Slobodan? Uh, I'm gonna massacre this Plazjak. He swallowed poison at his, at his funeral. Oh, <laughs> his funeral. No, no, no. Uh, funeral. Oh, sorry, trial. trial. <laughs> <laughs> If you can Boy, swallow the poison at your funeral, there, yeah. There's a good trick. <laughs> Swallowing the poison led to his funeral. Yes. Yeah. There you have been reading Shakespeare. He, he was at The Hague, obviously. Uh, he was sentenced to 20 years for war crimes, and he stood up and he basically says, I am rejecting your verdict with contempt, and then took out a small vial and swallowed the liquid. And, and it was video. But it, it was, was all video. video. Yeah, yeah, up to so, that point. And so I, it, I think they turned well, the video then, off. Then he had to clarify, I've just drinking poison. Yeah, because everybody was saying, <laughs> yeah. what, what are you doing? And then he just declared, yeah, I just drank poison here. <laughs> well, I, I'm thinking this is good. Somebody would have had to pay to keep this prick in jail. Yeah, and well. now he's dead. But you have to wonder how that little vial of poison ever got into his He probably hand. paid someone off. Yeah. His lawyer. It it's easy yeah. to pay people off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Especially if you're like someone with connections. With If you're a general, you probably have connections. And it was probably like Coors Light in the wild, too. Yeah, well, apparently he's a hero. He's a hero <laughs> Instantly in his dead. Homeland. I mean, they, they still, they chant his name and think he's a hero. I guess he's going to be a martyr for, for yeah. some people, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I, have, I go to the psychological on that because in my mind, I keep thinking, what was he thinking all that day leading up to that moment? Was he deciding, will I or won't I? Well, was he, he saying it's all going to be over? I mean, the, the I inner, the inner thoughts up. of somebody who's that evil and terrible. Anyway, it's just, you know, the, I just have a, have a real curiosity mm-hmm. about the stream of consciousness. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. that's my wacky mind working. <laughs> um, another story. Do you guys hear that uh, the Canadian Prime Minister decided to apologize to, to the gays to the LGBT community. He did, and I think it was really a sincere apology and, and something that was meant to to be healing, don't you? Yeah, he actually uh, decided to give him $110 million for the victims of what they called a gay purge. Yeah. This is a 30-year program that ended in the 90s that was in the military, the RSC, uh, MP, and the, the public service. So in other words, if you were somebody of the LGBT community and you were working for the RCMP, for example, you could have been outed and lose your job mm-hmm. or something like that. And in compensation, he decided, to do, which I think is to do the right thing. Yeah. 
and uh, and apologize. So it's great that it's done then. And of course, I got to talk about. Remember our old friend, Mad Mike, Rocket Man. Uh, yeah. How did that go? <laughs> it didn't. <laughs> Shocker. He, he postponed it twice. Uh, his launch was postponed, and uh, I think there were some uh, authorities are basically stopping him from doing uh, so. Regulatory issue. And well, I, was, I was so hoping. Wasn't he wanting to do it on like public land? Something like that. Yeah. I so wanted him to do that and crack him oh. crashing down. Do you do you think that he really was prepared to? do that or in the back of his mind he really knew this is going to be a pretty good show but thank goodness I don't have to actually launch this thing. We'll never know. We'll never know. Either way it wouldn't have proved anything. It was an interesting piece of news and let's hope he pops up again with some other really great scheme we can laugh at. Mm. Oh and uh, by the way I remember a couple uh, weeks ago when we interviewed Michael Sparks in the States Yep, and uh, he's a uh, Bernie Sanders activist. Yep, yep. His book just launched. Oh, fantastic! On Amazon. Uh, although he'll 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 say he has to launch it on Amazon, but he would rather you actually contact him directly, and mm-hmm. he will send you a copy. Yeah, well, he gets way more exactly. revenue exactly through so, his, if you purchase it through his. So good for him. Good for you, Mike. Uh, we're we're uh, eager to actually read that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a great interview. Anyone who's listening can can look up our interview with Mike um, Sparks. What when was it during uh, during the summer? Michael, when was Michael here? Whenever, look up that I interview. Was, it was a really, I think it was an October. It was, a, it was an excellent interview. Oh, absolutely. If you haven't heard it, or even if you want to refresh your mind before you read the book, it's great to go back and, <laughs> and check the podcast and listen to it again. Did you guys hear there was a, um, a rally that was proposed? This is a pro-gun group that had the awful, awful idea of uh, doing a rally uh, at the Polytechnique. Memorial School in uh, in uh, Montreal. This is where 14 women were killed in 1989. What? Yeah. Uh, this was to oppose the gun registry because uh, Quebec decided to do their own gun registry. Oh, good for and them. in order to oppose that, they decided to do a, a protest there. At, at somewhere where people had been murdered Exactly. With it was, guns? It was an awful, awful idea. There was a huge backlash and they decided to back out of that well, it really probably, quickly. It was probably uh, uh, Americans that led them to that to that one just, I don't know I don't know that's, that's we'll, we'll never you know, know the NRA would want that type of behavior yeah, yeah right exactly guys. it was an awful idea thank goodness they, they yeah. had a bit more did, sense did they have a rally like at another location uh, they were said they were going to do a rally somewhere else but I haven't heard of, th- of anything okay. so I don't know um and speaking of ass backward messages, uh, did you guys hear about this story about this three hundred year old Jesus statue that had a hidden message up its ass? Oh my gosh! Oh. Yeah. What a great place for a hidden message. This was in, how did you how did someone find it? Well, in seventeen seventy seven, there was a I guess it's a time capsule that was done by priest Joaquim Minguez. And it's a document that had the the, the, the statue sculptor, uh, data on agricultural matters, common diseases, popular children games, and popular bullfighters of the time. Oh, wow, that's so fascinating. Yeah, and it was inserted up Jesus' butt for some reason in the statue. That's, that seems like an awesome place to put it. I mean, it I, I can imagine the chuckles from the priest. Yeah, well, <laughs> we need to down, uh, we need to down the this statue. Sen- okay. sense of humor isn't a new invention, guys. So, so let's, let's look at this practically. It's 1770. When was it? Seven. Okay. Where would you put it? 
up his nose. If you wanted well, to the hide, the if head, you wanted to hide it like a little easy. time capsule, you know, you've got certain orifices that are available. Well, normally, supposedly, normally and, you're supposed to bury it in the ground. No, yeah, wouldn't you? Well, time capsule wouldn't you in, put a box? It at the, yeah. in a box but, at the foot of the yeah. But you know, I can understand his mentality because if you put it there, who's going <laughs> to actually start searching? <laughs> well, in this there, is it. Right? Yeah, yeah, I think it's kind of. How did they find it? They took the statue down and they wanted to, to clean it. Oh, okay. and when they, they they found a little hole, there was a piece of cloth, and then when they kind of tugged on it, and it kind of you know <laughs> right out, and there it was, the time capsule. I think it's great. I mean, it's sort of like a little hidden message, and who knew? I, I wonder if they thought the future generations would have to be, you know, someone would have to be pretty clever to find it. I think it's. I neat. I love the fact that the first the person who pulled it out probably thought they just broke the statue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like oh shit. <laughs> Poor guy starts tugging on Jesus' butt, right? That would make a story in itself. (laughs) Uh, uh, Did you guys hear about the latest PISA test, uh, which is the Program International Students Assessment, and Canada figures in the top tier? Nice. Way ahead of the U.S., the U.K., and France. Uh, At the university level, Canada has the highest proportion of workers age adults that went through higher education, which is 55%. Really? The OECD average is 35%. Yeah, but what they don't tell you is 20% of those people were uh, were taken... Didn't we just do a a thing on, on fake schools? On fake school? Oh, the fake diplomas? Fake diplomas. Are you saying they're yeah. fake diplomas? I'll bet you at least 20% of them are. Oh, come on. You're pulling that out, you're pulling that out of your ass. You're doing, oh, yeah. you're doing, a, you're doing a time capsule again here. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, to the point that if the provinces were to enter uh, the, the contest separately as, country, as separate countries, Alberta, BC, and Quebec would still be in the top five in science. Oh, seriously? Yes. As well they should be. Go and us. The article stated that one of the reasons was probably because of Canada's sense of fairness. Uh, teachers are actually well paid in mm-hmm. this country as compared to other, uh, yeah, other places. Yeah, I think there's a very high percentage in the, in the news. I think there's a fairly high percentage of breakthroughs of one kind, whether it's technical or medical, that, that is um, conducted by Canadian researchers, yeah. Canadian mm-hmm. sciences. Mm-hmm. They usually yep. set the mm-hmm. set the uh, set the yeah. pace, you know, for other research to follow. But a lot of breakthroughs well, come. Yeah. And come uh, another just, reason. Oh, sorry, you go first. I was just going to say. Look at the Ebola crisis. The Ebola crisis. They came up with uh, right. a uh, inoculation for people. Yeah, and it was done it was right Cana- here in the Canadian lab. Canadian oh, wow, lab I didn't did know that. Yeah. Yeah. So things like that, and people never take notice of mm-hmm. it because no, it's just don't. common. Yeah. Thing, this, right? this is the, it's always been the weakness of doing everything uh, on the private sector because they go after what's lucrative. Yeah. And finding a cure for Ebola is not lucrative. Nope. It's not. You want to find a cure for antacid or something. Oh, yeah. st- stomach acid, that's lucrative, but Ebola but, is. But um, what I was about to say is... Uh, Another reason why Canada has so many people that are going on to further education is because we try to make it really easy. Like, I went to college, but, like, right after, like, I was actually still in high school when I went to uh, college, Mm -hmm. and it was totally free for me. And because it was, um, the school district was wanting to encourage people finding a job they wanted and getting education and then going straight into the workforce. Yeah, yeah. Also, one of the things they, they talked about is uh, 
uh, in Canada, they're highly selective about the teachers coming into the the, the workforce. Uh, yeah. There's a strong base in literacy. Remember when mm-hmm. we did that uh, Canadian special, and uh, yeah. we, uh, Canada is actually one of the most literate countries in the world, if not the, and uh, a narrow socioeconomic gap. The difference between the poor and the rich in Canada is about 9%, as France is 20%, and Singapore is 17%, and we're not even going to talk about the U.S. <laughs> I was about to be <laughs> like, I wonder what the U.S. is. There's also apparently <laughs> what they call the Trump effect. Uh, Canada now is viewed as an alternative to U.S. to the U.S. for uh, immigrants. You know, why would you go study something yep. in the U.S. and get a chance of being deported when you might as well? Just and go you a can bit actually apart. keep your culture if you move here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we right. kind of embrace that. Yep. Um, did you guys hear that Newfoundland and Labrador schools won't participate in Operation Christmas Child? I did hear about oh, this. That's that's the uh, that's a little charity where they have a shoebox. And yeah. you put stuff in there, it's for, and then they ship it to kids around the world. Which sounds good on the it's, surface. It sounds absolutely it's, good. Yeah. It sounds noble till you read into it. It's it's uh, it's an evangelical group called the Sam- uh, Samaritan Purse, uh, but the volunteers uh, decided to they, sorry the volunteers need to sign a statement of faith. Yeah. When they're volunteers for that organization. So they have to sign the fact that they do believe in God and they're anti-LGBT and all that. And Newfoundland and Labrador said, screw you, we're not supporting that. And actually, they, they put a little note in the shoebox proselytizing. Oh, is that so? Yeah. They, I did they, not know that. Yeah, they, they put yeah. a note. in Each little yeah, box has a little note. They had a real problem and, with that Newfoundland. Yeah, and, and so the shoeboxes on their own are wonderful. But then there's a little hook. I think when, well, they, when the child gets the, the shoebox, they want religious. to actually have him... Either Charities. sign up for Sunday school or listen and, yep. and so forth and so on. So that's a little, you know, it's a, it's a good news, bad news kind of little Yeah, um, yeah. Charities should be helping, not preaching. Yeah. That's all there is to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And good for them for doing so. Who knows? I mean, it's it's sad because some some children might suffer at the end there. But at the same point, at the same time, hopefully this charity will decide to stop doing stupid things yeah, like well, that. Yeah, well, especially, especially in Canada, there are so many people who aren't Christian you're cutting off a massive volunteer base <laughs> that if you just like people want to help if you just accept people who don't believe the exact same thing as you it's also oh, one of the sister, reasons why you I'm have not... to accept jesus into your heart yeah <laughs> yeah i did and then i realized sure nothing that it up wasn't his butt, right, and sure. then i realized harry potter was better <laughs> and realized that jesus might have something up his butt yeah <laughs> um yeah it's also one of the reasons why i'm not very fond of the uh Salvation Army. Not very fond of them either, oh. just for that. Um, but in good news on that, on that side, uh, remember Australia? <gasps> yes! That's that, that's that's that con- wait a minute, that's that continent on the southern side? That's of right, that's that big, okay. big island yeah. there. Uh, this is so exciting. They, uh, as they, they had a, a referendum, uh, and, and they did uh, say we're going to legalize uh, same-sex yep. marriage. And the prime minister came out and says we're going to do it before Christmas. It's done. Yeah. It is now yeah. done. I, I was quite impressed with that. He... he Kept his promise. Yeah, he kept mm-hmm. his promise. Kept his promise. And he, he, was, he didn't have to. He actually didn't have to because the plebiscite was not uh, binding. legally binding. Didn't have to, but they did. Well, so good for them. The people spoke. The people spoke. And at the same time, Austria, 
not Australia, but Austria yeah. did the same thing. But that won't really? happen to them really? until 2019. That's so yeah, exciting. Yeah, but still, they're doing it. Yeah. It's, no, it's, it's the right. I mean, when you, look, when you look 10 years ago or five years ago, and you look today about the countries that have accepted same-sex marriage, it's it's a wave. It's it's yeah. going to, yeah. you know, there's always going to be, like, I doubt whether yeah. North Korea is ever going to, going to be able to, well, you know, to come to the, But you never know. But it is an acceptance that people yeah. are people and need to be respected regardless of, of who they are or exactly. what they well, and, and And politically, when enough people in the country speak up, like in Australia, mm-hmm. I guess it was it was some ludicrous amount. Yeah. They had it was one of the highest turnouts. It was a phone poll, yeah, but it was one of the highest turnouts for it because they're mandatory there. Yeah, it's when they call a vote, it's mandatory. You have to, and they had like eighty some odd percent vote, and it was sixty plus percent in favor of. And mm-hmm. they said it's almost that's politically that's almost unanimous. I mean, it's. You know, there's no playing around there. You yeah, have exactly. to do what the people are asking for. Cool. So, And, of course, last but certainly not least, we got to talk about what happened this week, which is the news all over the place. Donald Trump coming out and declaring that Jerusalem <sighs> is to be recognized as the capital of Israel. Ah. Uh, I don't know why. I have my, own, did, did I have my own views on this. Did, you did that send shivers up anybody else's well, spine? You know, when I, you want to, I want to start by asking you because you're a resident Jewish lady, <laughs> and you're you're the wandering Jew. Uh, so so, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, theoretic. Well, actually, Jerusalem probably is the legitimate capital. Mm-hmm. However, because of all of the tensions, because of the complex nature of the peace. Um, talks and um, all of the decades that have been put into should it be one state, should it be two states, the um, the embassy has remained in, in Tel Aviv. And every six months, the president of the United States signs that waiver saying, in essence, we're going to keep it here in, in Tel Aviv because that seems to be, um, until the peace talks uh, find a, a legitimate solution, that seems to be where it is. And it was a bargaining chip. It was something that could have been used in order to help the peace talks um, mm-hmm. along. But Trump, out of the blue, and maybe it was a conversation or a pact of some kind with Netanyahu, it's hard to tell, but for no good logical reason and just giving it away without even bargaining, he decides to make the statement to appease his base. It's worse than you think. He will appease his base because his base is shrinking to about 32% at this point approval rate. So he had he figured as long as he's in office, he might as well do something because he's not, he, he may be impeached and not, I'm, I'm assuming this, it's not anything that's it's real. But the repercussions of that in terms of how all the other Arab nations and the rest yes. of the world. Well, there's already pro- so many protests breaking yeah. out. And um, Israel, was Israel just he, he sent? Just threw a it's well, it's, Israel's it's, starting to send missiles at an inch like um, at, like uh, militant bases and is freaking like killing people. Okay, I mean, wait a minute. Trump, wait Trump minute, has a, a stick and he's looking for hornet's nests that he can disrupt. And this, was another, and this is exactly, <laughs> no one knows what's in that the mind of that lunatic to, to deliberately disturb the world for, for no other reason other than selfish ones for his own base. Unconfirmed reports. And aren't you glad per- you asked 
personally, little Jewish lady. Of course. <laughs> I'm always personally, personally, my take on this whole situation, and I'm sorry if I piss mm-hmm. a lot of people off here, I would love nothing more than to drop a 750 kiloton nuke on top of Jerusalem. <laughs> and the comments of Scott are not necessarily those of Left the Valley, subsidiaries, etc., etc. No, the, the, the unconfirmed reports are saying that, uh, of course, all his staff you know, the Secretary of Defense and all that yeah. were saying, no, no, it's a bad, bad, bad exactly. idea. But unconfirmed reports say that his biggest donors were egging him to do so. Because they're evangelicals. Why? Because they're the evangelicals. evangelicals. Evangelical donors have this thing that, about this wanting to see the end of the world in Armageddon. And they don't think this right. will happen until all the Jews are back, back in, in Israel. Jew, yeah. And then Jebus is going to come back and save them all. They are horny for the end of the world. How does this play into that? Because they, he's declaring that he sees Jerusalem as the capital. Okay, that's fine. But well, the evangelicals, they're Christian. Well, I Jerusalem know. is also a Christian base. Yeah. I know, but, no, but, it, but, but there's they, a prophecy apparently. There's a prophecy, and so they they want the Jews to to thrive. You know, for. What, f- because they feel that the the um, the rapture and the final oh, what is it, the final wait days this Armageddon. is that same the, the this Armageddon is that same prophecy? that they're necessary in order to bring about the second coming. This I, this, I, this, this is the prophecy confusing. where the second coming was actually right. supposed to happen during the yes. disciples' lives. Yes, it is. Yeah. And then it was going to happen in like 500 <laughs> You're AD. Not interpreting and it then right. it was going to happen in 10, <laughs> 10 or 1000 AD. Yeah, of course. And then it was going to happen in 1834. Yep. And then it was going to happen three times last year and like guys get over it it ain't happening because it doesn't exist and nuke Jerusalem and deal with the problem (laughs) <laughs> Jesus. Okay, well, I'm not sure if that's a good recommendation. <laughs> On that positive note. <laughs> no, I, I can totally understand that. Uh, but what, what the, the interesting thing about, about this is how are the other nations going to react to this? Uh, I mean, Canada yeah. has been kind of pro-Israel as well, but even though uh, if I was the, the prime minister, I'd be the first one to say, whoa, I'm not going to right away say, okay, we too think that mm-hmm. Jerusalem he, is he should have The prime minister and his cabinet should have stepped up and said this is wrong Mr. Trump you're wrong yeah. don't do this and well I think they, they did they, they, no, just they might didn't. say no, that no they didn't they haven't said anything they haven't said anything yet well they might they just might say something but uh, anyway uh, and it's going to take years for that to happen too because they also have to find a place now in Jerusalem and build it and do plans and all that so it's not going to happen overnight. oh yeah no he, he didn't he, he didn't say there was any time limit it, he was just expressing himself yeah. and of course that that could put Americans at risk um, in the Middle East. One, one never knows. But if there, if there is the wrong way to do something, he he'll, he'll do like it. an arrow. That was the way. Instead of, instead of, you know, who was it was big on the peace process over there? It's Jimmy Carter, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Jimmy Carter was big on the peace process really over was. there, and they almost had a working peace Seriously. thing. Jimmy they Carter, came yeah. Close. They came and close. and after he was ousted as president, yeah. like after he lost, he still was the main negotiator over there. They wow. they would take him and 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 use him as the the voice of That's reason. That's awesome. I know our yeah. American friends are not going to agree with this, but I think personally Jimmy Carter was one of the best presidents in my life. Oh, yes. They actually had. Yes, he this was. This guy didn't fire a shot. You know, he was installing solar panels on the roof of the White House. Seriously. Yeah. Seriously, he was forward he was, thinking. He and then, was then of course, Reagan of... came in, 
and <laughs> tore it all out. We, we, we essentially did a 30, 40 year detour Ooh. into conservative politics, and now yep. we're just getting back to where Jimmy yeah, Carter. Jim, kind of Jimmy left Carter. Us. Jimmy Carter was one of the most forward thinking presidents. I mean, can ever. you think? Can you think of a um, a democratic country? that at this point would want the U.S. to come in and help broker no. relationships? No. or no. Stay the heck just, away. Yankee, you know, go home. In, yeah. In, in, in less than one year, 200 and some odd years of, um, you know, working with other, other countries, uh, well, mostly, has been totally destroyed by, by one lunatic. Yep. I, I wonder if Americans still think that they are like the leaders of the free oh, world. Like, I think they do. I think they do. I think they realize that yeah. unfortunately everything that that has to do with <laughs> the, the um, institutions, the, the good institutions that, that the fabric of those is being ripped away and the resistance movement is doing everything they can to get that guy out of office mm-hmm. before yeah. it goes any further. But they do feel that it can be restored, but the sooner the better so that they don't have a mm-hmm. lot of rebuilding. Yeah. Yeah. If they get the proper leadership, there's yeah. Americans that will, they'll, they'll make America great again. Oh, totally. Yeah, they've got to find they've got to find a democratic um, a candidate. They had a chance that, with that Bernie Sanders. Oh. They had that yeah. I, <laughs> anyway. I, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. No, but. we're not fighting all this you and me again. That's it. <laughs> fight, fight. We'll have to see. No, I like yeah. Bernie. That's not the point. All right, my dear. Yeah. What do you got for us today? Oh boy, I got one. Of, I've got one of my very favorite stories today. I love. I, I, I started this history, one. Right? Yeah, this is a really, really great story on um, this day in history, which, as we know, is a roundup of those events and people that altered and illuminated the days between December the fifth and December the eleventh. Um, this is an interesting story. Ask a question: What does a Brazier company? have in common with World War II. A pigeon vest. <gasps> Yes. This is so yes. great. Yes. Way, way back in the in the early 1900s, a lovely little lady named Ida Cohn Rosenthal founded Maiden Form Bras. And she became highly successful with her line of bras. They were well-made. They didn't have the stays and all of They were comfortable bras. And they were made to, to everybody's shape rather than having everybody try to fit into a pre-made shape. I even have a pair. Yeah, that's right. When World War II came along, the material to make her bras became very hard to get because they were all being converted to parachutes. So she wanted to find a way to use those materials still for bras and and the war effort so she could continue to, uh, to make the bras and yet do what she needed to do for the parachutes. So she actually turned her um, factory into... Um, use, making the bras as well as as doing the the um, the parachutes. So as fate would have it, have it, three opportunities arose for using the bras. One was for women in service. The other were parachutes, and the third was bras for pigeons. <laughs> Unlikely, but stick with me. Only on this show do we talk about bras for pigeons. Yeah, I know. So this is the reason why during World War Two, Tanya, a pigeon with a Properly outfitted bra turns me on. Comments of Scott are not necessarily those of a 
We do go off in lovely tangents. Anyway, during World War II, you think so? <laughs> the troops were parachuted into territories with carrier pigeons, and the the way they carried the, the pigeons was inside of their jackets, but that caused a lot of the pigeons to be injured or killed during descent. They were kept safe, but with the twists and turns and the tightness of those vests, it, they were losing a lot of the, the pigeons, and they were, as you know, the main way of communicating mm-hmm. between the, the front uh, uh, action and then back where the, um, the, the what do you call the, the communication centers were. So if they could find a vest that would carry the pigeons safely, that would ensure they could fly back, that would be great. So the Army contacted uh, Ida Rosenthal, and she and the pigeon team designed the pigeon vest. And the vest was made out of porous materials with a tight woven fabric underneath so the pigeon's claws wouldn't damage the mesh. I mean, they had to take the little pigeon bodies and their wings and their little feet and figure out how to do that. And the vest also included an adjustable strap for the parachuters to strap across their chests. So the vest was shaped to the body of the pigeon, leaving the head, neck, wingtips, tail, and feet exposed. Can you imagine testing this thing? (laughs) Anyway, the vest would be attached to the outside of the paratroopers' jackets. This is very clever on how how to do this. So once the paratroopers hit the ground behind enemy lines, they'd release the pigeons so they could fly off and deliver the, the important messages. 1944, Maiden Form agreed to make 28,500 pigeon vests for the U.S. government, and they were all stamped with the warning. Important, do not retain pigeon in vest in excess of six hours. <laughs> Poor thing. I know, so they couldn't you know, put them on in the plane. They had to wait, so they had to have places that they could stay in the plane, and then they could... It was, it was a chore. So... Grab your shoot and load your pigeon. Yeah. <laughs> the pigeon carried messages in tiny capsules attached to their legs, and the capsules could contain messages, blood samples, or even tiny cameras that, that, were, that were used. And oftentimes the carrier pigeons, also called homing pigeons, were the only form of communication during World War II. They were also the most secure and reliable. It's a little information about homing pigeons. They were the least likely form of communication to be interested intercepted. More than 95% of the messages they carried were successfully delivered. And due to their obvious necessity for wartime communication, approximately 56,000 carrier pigeons were trained for war missions in World War II. And that was the height of pigeon use. Average pigeon speed, 50 miles an hour. Average flight, 25 miles. Although they actually could travel... 2,000 miles. So they were they were a necessary um, a communication device during the war, and they found a way to be able to get them safely into the war zone. Um, interesting, one of the pigeons was named G.I. Joe, who carried, <laughs> yeah, and he carried a message to cancel a bombing mission, and in doing so, saved the lives of a 1,000 Allied troops, and they were actually given medals. They, wow. uh, G.I. Joe has his own little um, statue. Oh, and so his own cute. Yeah, so thank you to 
to bras and pigeons. World, World you know, War II had so, lots So it was more. difficult to make a bra for a pigeon. It was I'm wondering very... what it was like for these wartime pigeons to make the combat boots for them. <laughs> and little helmets. Little helmets. That'd be so cute. <laughs> I know. I know. That would have been that, that, that would have been wonderful that they just had the idea starting. Unfortunately, World War II came to a came to an end. Homing pigeons were, you know, you as, as I, I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, Unfortunately, Thomas and Nancy but, not necessarily but, those about the valley. Good pigeon sex. Well, in terms of in, in terms of of uh, little outfits for pigeons, unfortunately, for the rest of the world it was good. Yeah, but for pigeons, not so much. Pigeon fashion kind of dropped after the war. Yeah. So moving on, I love that story. December sixth is the National Day of Re- was the National Day of Remembrance and Action on Violence Against Women, yep. which was also White Ribbon Day, and that's commemorated in Canada in Canada each December the sixth. Uh, December the seventh was natural National Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day in the U.S. Um, and December the eighth, the humanist community at Harvard was delighted in nineteen. 19- 13 to announce that the uh, that Governor Patrick issued an official proclamation declaring Sunday, December the 8th, to be Humanist Community Day. And that's throughout the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and is in conjunction with the opening of uh, Humanist Hub. December the 10th, Human Rights Day and International Animal Rights Day. Um, and wow. on December the 10th, First Nobel Prize in Physics uh, for William Renshin for his discovery of X-rays. Um, Nobel Prize for Physics awarded to Pierre and Marie Curie in, two, nice. in 1903. And then in 1935, the Prize for Chemistry awarded to um, Pierre and Mir. Marie Curie's daughter, Irene Gillet Curie, mm-hmm. and her husband, Frederick uh, Gillot, for the discovery of artificial radioactivity. What a family. <laughs> and that, dear listeners, brings to a close another passing parade of interesting, mundane, unusual, and occasionally bizarre events and people that make up this day in history. <laughs> Stop with the pigeon call. The best part is, I used to own a pigeon. <laughs> Thank you. Does Nancy. it sound like yeah. a pigeon? Yeah, it does. Well, okay, I had pigeons, and the reason I talk about pigeon sex and the whole thing, mm-hmm. I had pigeons living outside of an apartment. What's with you today, talking about? <laughs> you're all over the map today. And you were talking about me being happy and chipper this morning. And, and these pigeons would. Do you know what it's like to get woken up to good pigeons? Oh, I think you've talked about this before <laughs> outside your window. No, but my pigeon, it wasn't this technically is what the mine. Come down it to? was my older we're talking sister's. About pigeon sex? She she There is no god, okay? You know, we're live he, on Facebook right now and people are listening to us talk about pigeon sex. Hi right people now. on Facebook. Um he Hello, would people on Facebook. He yeah. would come and sit on your head. <laughs> I right apologize. On. No, but the best part is the SBA, SPCA had to capture him because he was a wild pigeon because he kept on trying to land on old ladies. <laughs> Walking down the street, so then they had to capture him, and then we we adopted him, and then oh, he would so cool. he would just ride around on your head. That's all he wanted to do. He just wanted yeah. to ride around on your head. A lot of birds like to do that. They like to be a bit higher yeah, than it's, you. It's a yeah. perch, right? I know a bird that would probably much rather eat your head. <laughs> my bird. Yeah, my That's former bird. my former father-in-law raised pigeons, and he was a member of a racing. 
club. And oh, wow. it really was nice because he cared for those pigeons so so lovingly. And to walk in the in the little coop where they all were, just to listen to the pigeons was very calming. It was a it was a lovely lovely hobby. So everybody appreciate pigeons today. Yeah, I appreciate pigeons. There, I know yeah. there has you, to be a pigeon appreciation one thing, day someplace. One, take thing, one from thing from the show. show today is appreciate you need to appreciate the pigeon. Appreciate the pigeon. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Before, before we go talk to our guests, let's do our segment that we all love called Another Brilliant Moment. Brought to you by religion. <gasps> Kirsten, you stole it from me. How could you? Doesn't matter. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. I've Why do I keep thinking about I Dream a Genie? Like. <laughs> Every time I hear this song, that's all it's I can see. Because it is. <laughs> well, you guys uh, heard that Australia, like we were talking earlier mm-hmm. on, has legalized marriage equality. And did you think that the great pastors of the U.S. would remain quiet about this? Of course not. Of course not. <laughs> okay, there's a first thing. Great pastors of the U.S. <laughs> uh, In the wake of the news that Australia had voted overwhelmingly to legalize marriage equality, extremist anti-LGBT pastor Kevin Swanson <laughs> Doesn't uh, that sound like a TV dinner? It, it, it does. does. It does. He dedicated his radio program warning the nation that will soon feel the unrelenting wrath of God. They, he does realize he's talking about Australia. Yeah. They deal with that every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Quote, God's judgment will come, friends, he said. God will hold them to account. Paraphrasing the words of Jeebus. Swanson declared, I say to you, Canada, I say to you, Australia, I say to you, United States, and we'd be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidion on the Day of Judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, which has was exalted to heaven, will be brought down to hell if the mighty works for... What the hell is he talking about? He's insane, so it can <laughs> kind of get hard to read. Okay, so... <laughs> All right, so for, don't yada, travel yada, to Australia yada. but you don't need a vacation. Travel to Sodom and Gomorrah. Apparently, it's a nicer place. Yeah. Well, if there's a way to inject fear-mongering into anything, I suppose even baking chocolate chip cookies to evangelicals and, and the conservatives will find a way to do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of LGBT, it's a gay miracle. Jesus what? has two dads. I know, right? <laughs> Religious yes. conservatives freak out after viewing a viral gay nativity scene with two Josephs. <laughs> a viral image of a gay nativity scene with two Josephs has many people cheering, but uh, as one might expect, religious conservatives are not so happy. Uh, <laughs> the image was uh, well received by many, but some conservatives were angry about the, uh, the light-hearted nativity set in an L.A. neighborhood. In particular, Roman Catholic Bishop Thomas Tobin is outraged by what he considers to be a sacrilege. Uh, <laughs> he, he basically was saying, for example, for, what, what happened there is they have two Josephs yeah. dressed in pink. Oh my gosh, they were dressed oh, in pink too. Je- yes, they're dressed in pink. Aww. Was Jesus <laughs> dr- wrapped around in a um, uh, LGBT flag? <laughs> no, but that's a good that idea. Be, though. That yeah. would be really next, cool. Next swaddled year. in swaddled in rainbow colors. Yeah, next next year, rainbow flag. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he says the the, the, the bishop says uh, how sad that someone believes it's okay or funny or cool to impose their own agenda. On the holy birth of Jeebus. Did, did he just, <laughs> really? like, listen? Did he just say that and then just play it back to himself and be like, oh, no. wait a second. I was thinking the same thing, yeah. <laughs> as, if if, as if they don't put their whole their own agenda on the entire yeah. Bible. No, no, no. No, Nancy. Uh, they're oppressed. They're oppressed. Oh, don't they're you know? So oppressed. I know. <laughs> There's a war going on now, Nancy. A war. 
against Christmas. Pray for I those who did so, for the change of heart, and that Jesus, Jesus will forgive sacrilege, this attack on the Christian faith. Because we know Jesus got no sense of humor. <laughs> so others others joined in, you know, they were saying, what a blasphemous display of hatred towards our blessed Lord. Or, what a, that's an absolute disgrace to the church and everything it stands for. But a, some other people were tweeting funnier things. Like one guy tweeted, man, with two dads, now the, Je- the birth of Jesus has to be a miracle. Yep. <laughs> There's no lying about that. Yeah, the poor oppressed majority. What are we going to do with them? Oh, I know. It's so sad. So, another story. Um, A self-described prophet for a new fundamentalist fundamentalist Mormon cult has been arrested after being found with four young girls. Are you serious? Two of them weren't his own. Wait, two of them were? Yeah, apparently. (laughs) Samuel Warren Schaefer, who purports himself to be a prophet and the head of the Knights of the Crystal Blade. That, that sounds that's friendly. That's not a bad name, though. Knights of the Crystal Blade. That is kind of cool. It sounds no, like, like a Nancy Drew novel. It does, it does. It does. The Knights I give him an A+. Plus the Crystal Blade. He was arrested as a result of an Amber Alert issued in uh, for Haiti uh, Coltarp 4 and Dina Coltarp 8. Their oh grandfather, God. Stephen Sobel, confirmed to, to the news later that night that he said the girls were found in a storage receptacle. In a storage receptacle? Yeah. What is that? I don't know, a Tupperware box. <laughs> you had them locked in a closet? Well, see, what happened is the, the mother of the, the, the girls basically told Fox News that she believed the ex-husband joined the Schaefer and his religious sect mm-hmm. called the Knights of the Crystal Blade. And uh, uh, they are with a man that calls himself Samuel the Seer. She said, and his name is Samuel Warren Schaefer, and he believes he holds the key to the dispensation, and he has been has been many people throughout history of time. So this guy believes that he's just reincarnated, been reincarnated yeah. as Jesus and Buddha and all that crap. So he was arrested on two uh, counts of child kidnapping and four counts of reckless child abuse. Uh, he's part of a call that essentially uh, marry off girls at a very early age. <sighs> so disgusting. And, and the Mormon, yeah. But how strange to use the, the phrase storage receptacle. Yeah. I mean, that's a, just, what in the world? We'll have to look it up and see what a storage, what were they thinking when they... We're I mean, ha- regardless of the story, my mind... Be, wait a minute, would this not be... Have there been so previous why have girls? Not, why haven't they charged oh, yeah. them with human trafficking? Because that sounds like no, this no, is no, what's no. going on. You guys on. don't understand. If you place the girl in a storage receptacle, you keep him fresh. <laughs> <laughs> you just got to burp a little bit, you know? And then you keep him fresh. Gotcha. Then you can just open it just before the wedding. So and, if you, know, you go to... If you go to Walmart, can you go to the storage receptacle department? Yeah. And they will tell you how to store your girls? Yeah, yeah. Okay. You wrap it up with plastic. Wrap- probably sure it's it's nice, you know. There's probably instructions there. Instructions yeah. on there. Yeah, it's certified for... Dear human trafficker, now that you've bought one of our fine products... <laughs> but um, with this cult, have there been previous girls that they have... It's married off already. It's Mormonism, yeah, yeah, of course. Oh, obviously, many girls have been uh, uh, obviously, out, especially around Texas. We uh, had the same thing here at Bountiful in BC. Yeah, right? obviously, he wasn't wearing the magic underwear. Yeah, obviously, or he wouldn't have been caught. No, I think the magic underwear only protects you from physical harm. Like if you get oh. shot by a bullet, then you know, oh. yeah. it, the it force like field uh, activates. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just mystified. Oh, some people, man. Okay, here's another story. Now, this sounds like a sermon that would be delivered in Uganda, but it's actually from the mouth of an American pastor in Arizona. This is conservative Christian pastor Stephen Anderson openly call for executing every gay person in America during a Sunday sermon at his church in Arizona. 
He claimed from the pulpit that the gays need to be put to death in the name of God by Christmas Day in an effort to wipe out AIDS. So, exciting do in America, my head hurts. Does that count as hate speech? They like, don't have, no, they don't have the same laws as us. I know, but I'm just like, how? They, that, have, they have freedom of speech in like, the United States. Yeah, they, yeah, they're they, allowed to say whatever they want. There's a line somewhere. I think if he had said, here's here's all the weapons that we're going to use. We are now going to get up and do that. At right. that point, that, 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 Charles yeah. Manson. It, so, might be so, hate spe- it might be hate speech because it is, tar- I mean, they are targeting one particular group of people and... And saying that that harm should be yeah. brought to them, but I think unless he says we're going to get up and do this now, and I'm taking you, they it, it can't be wow. an actual yeah. um, act. No, exactly. Until until but they it's actually, a threat. Until they know. actually incite violence, or they're free yeah, to actually say here in Canada, right. they would be arrested for inciting. Yeah. yeah, that's the difference between the two countries. Wow. So, I think I'll have to. So this guy thinks that eliminating the gays is going to wipe out AIDS. Um, does he Which, not realize that? I know. Um, there AIDS no. isn't just between like exactly. gay people. Exactly. It, it's not like there's like a genetic marker where it's like AIDS attaches to <laughs> if you're just gay. And he says, if you turn to Leviticus, because that's a good source. Yep. <laughs> 2013, because I actually discovered the cure for AIDS, he says. It says, if a man also lie with mankind as he lied with a woman, both of them will have committed abomination, blah, 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 shall be put to death. The blood shall be upon them. And that, my friend, is the cure for AIDS. That's exactly what he said. What? Does he realize AIDS can be transferred by blood? Like, in their, it's... In, in their mind, in their mind... <laughs> It's obvious in his mind all that all that matters is if you eliminate the gay population, AIDS will stop somehow magically. Wow. Magically. Does, it, does he think it's like a sentient being that's just like, oh, there's still gay people, I can still spread. No, but he does, he, these people have a tendency to think that it's the wrath of God to send a disease like wow. that. Wow. So. Because he, he's such a loving person. Yeah. So. Then he says, no homos will ever be allowed in this church as long as I'm pastor here. Don't the, worry, buddy. Nobody's the, going. The best part is there's probably at least like five to ten people with non-heterosexual urges sitting in his congregation. They can be taught not to do that. Sadly, yeah. Yeah, see, that's that's how it works. It's, it's your it's actions. A it's a choice. Not right? your feelings. So. Well, I, well, I hate to make that link, but you know the problem is, is this is exactly the kind of speech that started in the churches in Germany, but it was aimed towards the Jewish population before. Yeah, the that's right. They can be Nazis taught not to be Jews. Yeah, that's right. They can they be can... taught not to be gays. They can be taught not to be Jews. They can, we we can purge them. We can purge them. And uh, I, I no, don't we'll, like to, we'll I don't relocate like to jump them. Nazi Germany, but it's exactly what we'll happened. relocate well, them. This I believe that's is, the term. Yeah. Is. This is what is being. Um, encouraged by what Trump is doing to immigrants yeah. and to the LGBT oh, yeah. community and voter suppression. I mean, he's using so many different ways to divide people. And unfortunately, there's that segment of the population that says, oh, goody, now we have an excuse to discriminate yeah. and exclude because we're the, the pure white um, guys who should, you know, be the masters of our own country. So we're justified in in, in, in excluding and, and 
uh, treating these people as second-class citizens or trying to get rid of them altogether. And yeah. it just it just plants those seeds. It says, yes, it's okay to do that. And it is, it is scary. It, it really well, is. right now it's the easy-identified targets. Um, I, I believe that throughout history, despots have done this done this pattern so they'll start with the lgbtq and they start with the uh foreigners the foreigners right the illegal immigrants but then it'll go to which group don't we want now see we've gotten rid of the foreigners and we've dealt with the lgbtq Mm -hmm. community oh i know we're going to go after the people who have cancer yeah we're going to go after the people who are mulatto they came from mixed race marriages so we're going to go after those people um, hey, let's let's take out the people with uh, oh, we, we've got genetic testing now. You might get a disease. Mm-hmm. We're gonna we're gonna kill you because you see because we don't need your genetic uh, code here. Exactly, and there there are there are two cases that are in front of the U.S. Supreme Court now that is really going to be a marker. One case is the masterpiece cake. Um, case that had yeah. to do with the two guys in Colorado, yeah. the two gay guys that wanted the cake, and the the baker said, "Heck no, I don't believe in same sex marriage." So I'm not, baking, I'm not baking that cake, <laughs> and so that has to do with religious freedom and and uh, discrimination. Yeah. And the second case is the Muslim ban that yeah. Trump put into effect and the Supreme Court says the ban can remain in effect until yeah. we hear it and it's just been heard by two federal courts mm-hmm. that's going so the way that court now decides on who is a threat in terms of immigration yep. and and countries and individual um, uh, discrimination against people rather than their nationality yeah. if, if and the masterpiece cake who should be discriminated against exactly. or who should have an accommodation or who should have religious freedom those two cases are going to set where our country goes from from this point on yeah. and they're both coming I'm pretty, up this I'm pretty term. sure it's in the Ten Commandments thou shall not bake cake for gays I'm sure it's there <laughs> I've seen it somewhere so that, we got, that was commandment number 26 yeah. uh, those, yeah. those tablets so, weren't well released. thank you guys thank you so much for that uh, so we're going to take a pause right now we're going to go to commercial and we're also going to pause our Facebook uh, recording here and we'll be right back with Ian Bushfield bye so, Facebook people so stay with us Hi, I'm the Supreme Irreverend Dr. Randy Tyson from the Legion of Reason Diversion. Join me and my co-hosts, Christine Shelska, Twyla, and Nate Phelps, as we explore issues at the intersection of atheism, humanism, and skepticism. Topics range from alternative medicine to the interference of religion in public policy. We often have special guests to help us understand the topic du jour. Previous guests include biologist Jerry Coyne, ex-Muslim author Ali Rizvi, philosopher Peter Bogosian, and the late physicist Victor Stanger. You can watch us on the Legion of Reason YouTube channel or subscribe to the audio version through your favorite podcatchers such as iTunes or Stitcher. And don't forget to like the Legion of Reason Facebook page. What is secular humanism? Critical thinking. Knowledge is freedom. Freedom from ignorance and its offspring, fear. The BC Humanist Association has been active in the Vancouver area for over 25 years. We offer a friendly and welcoming place to make new friends, as well as free educational lectures. We invite you to join us any Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Oak Ridge Senior Centre. 
please visit our website for more details, bchumanist.ca. absolutely convinced that the main source of hatred in the world is religion and organized religion. Absolutely convinced of it. And I think it should be religion treated with ridicule. President of BC Humanists, he's a snappy dresser and a snazzy dancer. Ian, thank you so much for joining us again at Left of the Valley. Thanks, Kevin. It's executive director of the BC Humanist Association now. I'm sorry. How could you, Kevin? Bad me, bad Bad Kevin. Even the professionals make it from time to time. Spank himself like that. (laughs) He's flexible. (laughs) This is live on Facebook, by the way. The show just went into the ditch yet again. <laughs> we tried. <laughs> and Ian, you uh, you brought one of your co-hosts from uh, Politicos with you. You have Scott with you, right? Yes. Scott, introduce yourself. Hello, Scott. I'm Ian's co-host on Politicos. Woohoo! Oh, nice and Woo-hoo. simple. Nice and simple. <laughs> Thank you so much, gentlemen, for joining us on the show today. Uh, Ian, uh, I guess we'll start with you. Uh, in your uh, in your uh, position as director, <laughs> and not president, uh, tell us the latest news of what the, the BC humanists have been doing. Sure. This past week, I was actually in Ottawa, Ontario, with the... On purpose? I was there with our legal counsel to argue before the Supreme Court of Canada. We intervened in the Trinity Western University case around whether or not they can open a law school or not, or more specifically, whether law societies have to recognize that law school. Now, let's let's take a quick pause here, just in case uh, some of our listeners might not exactly know what we're talking about. The case, just briefly explain the the Trinity Western thing. Sure. Trinity Western University is an evangelical university out in your neck of the woods, actually, out in Langley. And they've been trying to open a law school for almost a decade now. They have an admissions policy that requires every student there to sign a community covenant. And that covenant says you have to be living by Christian values and not doing gay stuff, essentially. (laughs) Don't have... Don't engage in sexual intimacy outside a marriage between a man and a woman. So two of the law societies, or three of the law societies, actually, Nova Scotia, Ontario, and BC, eventually, uh, after some finagling here in BC, came to the decision that this is discriminatory and they wanted to make sure there's equal access to the law. Exactly. So they rejected that. Excellent. And TWU sued, and now it's worked its way to the Supreme Court of Canada, where sometime in the next six months, they'll tell us whether TWU is right or whether mm-hmm. the law societies are right. And you were there in, uh, as uh, an intervener in, in, in Ottawa. And so far, how's it look for, for, uh, for the case? It's really hard to tell. So you can feel like you get a sense of what the questions the judges are asking all of the parties. And the judges were very harsh, in my opinion, and very critical of Trinity Western University. It was a minute or two into their lawyer's opening statements when one of the lawyers already like turned around or one of the judges, sorry, looked at them and said, no, you're framing the issue wrong. This is what play. Like, start arguing about this right wow. now. And he kind of got flummoxed, was the word one uh, Vancouver Sun reporter used. So that was promising. But 
there's also a lot of internal politics going yeah. on at the Supreme Court right now because the chief justice is stepping down. So someone else has to get that job. So they might be trying to showboat for the progressive prime minister we have, or at least person who talks a progressive game. So how much of that was them playing devil's advocate? How much of them was shuffling, you know, for the chief justice slot? Or how much was genuine legal argument? Mm -hmm. It's hard to say because these are the most, I don't know, smartest legal minds in the country, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not so sure. They're the ones that are supposed to be interpreting the law. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's well. necessarily the smartest. Okay, so so uh, so uh, from, from your point of view, uh, you, we're going to find out in a few months, but so far it seems a bit optimistic, right? We're optimistic. Yeah. So the arguments we brought forward specifically from the BC Humanist Association were around this question of whether organizations can have a religion, because this isn't actually something Canadian law has ever mm -hmm. definitively said either way. Like in the U.S., they had the Hobby Lobby ruling recently, which basically said corporations are, well, they had Citizens United say corporations are people, and then they had Hobby Lobby say corporations can have religious beliefs. And we don't have that or really want that in Canada. Yeah, totally. So we were making that yeah. argument along with a couple other groups, including the United Church, ironically. <laughs> really? And we sort of worked together and made a nice 15-minute submission with them that set out, you know, why, corp why corporations shouldn't have a religion. And then we finished it off with the, and if they did, here's a really strong test you should have to apply to them. And so we put all those arguments together. And what I thought was really promising was even before we brought those forward on the Friday, on the Thursday, one of the, chief, one of the justices, Rosalia, Rosalia Bella, was actually asking TW and some of the law societies, do organizations have a religion in this country? So she was already engaged with our arguments, mm -hmm. which was promising. Hmm. Okay, good. Very good. good. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. So uh, so let's talk today. We're talking about uh, your, your, your podcast that you do in conjunction with Scott there, Politicoast. So essentially, what is Politicoast? Well, it's, it's, a po <laughs> it's a podcast, obviously, but yeah. what, is it, what is it you guys are trying to do with that show? Uh, it's basically a BC... Uh, politics focused podcast we occasionally touch on uh, municipal or federal issues very rarely the states but basically we're trying to fill the void that was there where there was no kind of bc focused yeah. podcast out there so you so okay so you, you you're focusing much more on canadian politics um, which i'm sure you have a, a plethora of material but nowhere near as much as you would have <laughs> if you have include some american stories in there well, it's been an incredibly good year for this. So we launched in at the end of September last year, mm -hmm. sort of knowing there was an election coming and saying, all right, there's all this stuff covering the U.S. Mm -hmm. Let's start talking because Scott and I had always been talking at like skeptics in the pub about politics, finding nuanced places to disagree, but always both really digging into policy. And we thought that would make a good discussion. And then we get into this spring and this election and then how it resulted in a tie has just given us tons of content and then a new government always stumbling over themselves so <laughs> we've, we've been managing to keep up a weekly schedule mm -hmm. with almost no weeks in there where we're not struggling to fill 45 minutes to an hour and a half sometimes yeah yeah we were a little concerned there wouldn't be much in the summer because that tends to be the slow season but no. uh Thankfully for us, and but maybe not the province, uh, we had a fair bit of political drama over there on who would actually end up being the government. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So so when you, when you guys are going for your subjects there, I mean, for example, our show, it's, it's atheist-based, but we also deal a lot with skeptical issues and, and humanistic issues as well. So we'll, sometimes we'll have shows that 
don't seem to deal with at all with stuff. We have a show that'll be coming up. We'll be talking about the wild salmon, for example, in BC. Uh, are these some of the topics that you guys attacked as well, or are you strictly, strictly in the politics of what's happening in the legislature? We've done a lot of fun going around and getting academics on the show and some activists. And we've had people like Evan Balgord, who has written for Canada Land, just to talk about the alt-right in Canada and the rise of the mm-hmm. far-right kind of stuff. Uh, we've talked to tax economists and we've done a couple episodes on more deep dives, just getting into like electoral reform. Mm-hmm. So like picking one issue and diving into it rather than doing just a what's in the headlines kind of hot yeah. take. And, and, and they're subjects that tie into politics in general. Usually, although we did have Justin McElroy, who's a local CBC reporter, uh, come on the show and talk about his Canadian TV bracket because we're both on Twitter and most of the political stories we find are either from Twitter or elsewhere. <laughs> and because he's a CBC reporter, he's got the connections with all those people and he'd launched this Canadian TV bracket that just went wildfire in the like little bubble we were following, so nice. we thought that would be this. fun, I and it was. I not about this at all. Could you, could you, could you explain that, what that, that thing is, that, that game bracket thing, that TV bracket he was talking about? Yeah, so Justin had at some point started talking on Twitter about what was a uh, really great and kind of the pinnacle of Canadian television, and that morphed into him running a bracket, and he's a self-described ranker of things, mm. and... Uh, so he basically set up a series of Twitter polls with 64 different well-known Canadian TV shows and over the course oh, of a wow. couple of weeks, narrowed it down until Mr. Dressup ended up uh, winning. Oh. Why, why was I thinking of that? I was thinking Mr. Dressup too. Wow. <laughs> All right. <laughs> classic. Absolutely classic. <laughs> All right. So so you guys obviously have your finger on the pulse of everything politics in the area and uh, you you go mainly focus on BC but you'll you'll do stories all across the the country I'm assuming. Yeah. What what are the main stories right now that people should be paying attention to? I think here in BC right now the biggest story is what the provincial government's going to do around this site C dam up north. Mm. The BC NDP was always critical of the Liberals' decision to build this giant dam, and this is up in the peace country, way, way up north, um, because the BC Liberals argued that we would need a lot more electricity in the future, but those assumptions weren't ever really tested Mm -hmm. or really delved into, but they just kind of went ahead with this $8 billion, which is now like $14 billion, $12 billion mega project. Yeah, it's going to be 14 and 16 soon. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Yeah, and so when they got in, they asked the BC Utilities Commission to review this, and they kind of came up with the, well, it'll be really expensive to cancel and fix the river right now, but it will also be really expensive to build it. So they don't really have an easy solution. And it seems like within the NDP, you have the more environmental activist and indigenous rights people who don't want it built. And then you also have the clean energy and we and jobs almost the union side saying we need to build this and it'll be interesting to see how this breaks the bc greens who are the supportive partner partner in this government really don't like this dam saying it's unnecessary and so yes. they'll create tension there as well yeah now no for, for the people that might not be aware of the some of the back on the story there uh, they proposed a site C dam. It's been on the table for a long time, but it was pushed forward because at the time they wanted the liquid natural gas thing to flow 
in, into China, the Chinese market. So you need the, all that extra energy to cool down and liquefy the gas. So that's what the Side C dam was for. Oh, wow. Now, since the uh, Russian kind of beat us to the punch with cheaper transport because they're right above China yeah. anyway and the pipeline directly there, we kind of lost that market. So now we're essentially saying, is that Side C dam even worth building? Mm-hmm. And this is where the dispute is, right? Yes. So it was basically proposed, as you said, for an industrial expansion that the liberal government wanted to push in natural gas. Now that that's not going forward and the natural gas market just really isn't there for any big projects in BC, we now have the question of, well, do we actually need this? There's been arguments that if we're going to get off fossil fuels, we're going to have to electrify a lot of current fossil fuels, and that could be a use for the Site C power, but it's hard to know that, and long-term demand forecasts are a pretty hit-and-miss item. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ontario, for example, built a bunch of power plants and expanded their capacity in the early 2000s, and demand didn't end up being there. And that's one of the reasons they have high hydro rates now, is they're have to pay for this capacity they built that they're not using. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Uh, excellent. Uh, okay, so the, we got the Site C dam, uh, and that's the front page news, essentially. Uh, what other little stories do you guys feel behind the scene there that people should pay attention to? Well, I know the electoral reform referendum yes. here in so BC important. is becoming a bigger thing. This is the NDP and the Greens' big sort of deal that the NDP had to hang out there. Yep. And also a lot of New Democrats like, although there are there's a vocal minority, I think, in the NDP that thinks changing the electoral system would be the worst idea ever. Mm-hmm. So the background on this is basically BC, like everywhere else in Canada, uses this first past the post electoral system where whoever gets the most votes in each riding wins. So at the federal level, I know in 2015, I think it was in Quebec, you had four-way races where people were winning with under 30% of the vote. And that at times feels unfair because you end up with a majority government that's elected by 40% of the Mm -hmm. people. Exactly. In the past in BC, we've had cases, I think it was 96, when the NDP won more seats, but the Liberals actually got more votes. And so when the Liberals got in, in 2001, one of their first initiatives was to actually put forward electoral reform because they thought it was unfair at the time. Mm Mm-hmm funny how times change that yep. they're now calling this a rigged process <laughs> and that it would be the worst thing ever to disenfranchise when it BC. doesn't fit when it doesn't uh, benefit you you're like oh it's rigged but then yeah. when you're the one that it's benefiting you're like no we'll just leave it we don't <laughs> want to change it now the other guys might get in power then and then part of the problem though is that the ndp and greens are on this very precarious situation where they don't have a ton of votes to spare so they're really trying to get a lot of things done very quickly. So it seems like they're really rushing forward on the consultation to bring forward this referendum next year. But when you do things quick, you sometimes don't do them well. Mm -hmm. And so they're getting a lot of criticism for this online consultation survey that they launched that I actually thought was a pretty good survey, but it's not as structured or as good at getting people who aren't necessarily always engaged. So Electoral reform has a nerdy core group of people who are really passionate about it, but that doesn't tell you what the average British Columbian thinks. And if you have that nerdy core group shaping a referendum, 
but then you put that referendum out there, you might have just a bunch of discontent of people going, well, this was rigged from the beginning because mm-hmm. that's all they've heard. Yeah. And, you know, most British Columbians might have seen a news story or two about it, but I suspect the vast majority of them are kind of not really aware of it or what the details are. And so far, the consultation process hasn't been that effective at really kind of pulling those people in. And that's what you need to do if you're going to run an effective referendum. And the clock's ticking down till I believe it's November of 2018 when the mail-in ballots will be uh, counted. And they obviously need to have the question and everything ready well before that. So mm-hmm. they're hoping to push that all through in the spring. So, so I'm going to ask a little, uh, a little question that uh, put, put a little editorial in there, I guess. Uh, how do you guys personally feel about this reform, uh, reform uh, motion uh, for, the, for the voting uh, system? Do you feel it's a good thing? Do you think the, the, the NAP and Greens are correct about this? Or do you feel the first-past-the-poll system is the correct way to stay? We're both in favor of electoral reform. Uh, we... Back in one of our first episodes, we actually did one of our deep dives on that topic and, and spent an hour or two just on that. And we both more or less come down on the point that, yeah, it's the system we got has a lot of flaws. We should be getting a better one. I think we have some minor disagreements on whether STV or MITS member proportional is better. But I think by and large, we're both on the same page on this one. Nice. I think our bigger disagreement is whether or not you need a referendum, but that's its own mire of difficulties mm-hmm. I, I would have a tendency to agree uh, i remember the last time they tried to pass this with a referendum there was a lot of mucking around uh, something that really bothered me a lot of people were saying it was too complicated of a system and i said well it's not complicated you don't, you're not counting the vote you're the voter <laughs> i mean you just vote <laughs> you know you don't need to worry about how difficult the system is they got people to, to deal with that yeah, but on the other hand, you don't want the system to be a black box where people can't see how their vote translates into yeah. the how the government forms. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Oh, good stuff. Okay, so so I gotta ask you guys, uh, your your since you guys, like I said, you have your thumb on the pulse there. Um, how do you feel about the coalition? Because this is pretty much one of the first times I believe that we had some kind of a coalition between parties for for a government like that in in power uh do you feel that these guys are gonna go to the the distance or do you feel it's they're on the verge of breaking i think the first thing is just that maybe it's just me being a pedant but it's technically a alliance or more of an agreement so the greens are okay they're still they're still an opposition party and they they get really annoyed when you say coalition because they don't have members in government and they like to have the freedom to vote against Mm -hmm. but it is a very unique situation. It's not unprecedented in Canada. There have been there hasn't been this exact agreement before, but there have been coalitions or even in BC, I think because the Liberals were before the social credit, there's always been like the CCF or the NDP, the left wing party, and then the not left wing party. And they're very good at either making a full full coalition, just single party like the Liberals, or I think in the 30s there were some electoral packs where liberals and conservatives or something like that didn't run against each other so that they could beat the ccf at the time Mm -hmm. so bc is a very fun place in history but Mm -hmm. it seemed very tenuous at first i think i was very happy personally when i saw the document that they released i like that that was public there things they agree on and want to work together on but it also felt very precarious it got a little bit better when the uh, member for Abbotsford, I think it was, Daryl Plekis, 
became, stepped up as speaker and then the liberals subsequently burned his membership cards and disavowed him and now curse his name under their breath all the time. But that has <laughs> made it a little bit more stable in this legislature. <laughs> and it, they are bitter. If you watch any question period or even just like hear the news coming out of it, they steam at every chance they can. But, you know, initially the bets were, you know, this will last 18 months, but now it's got this sort of almost four year feel to it. Nice. I'm not sure if it's going to hit four years, but I'm pretty confident nothing's going to happen until at least a year from now after the referendum mm -hmm. happens, because this is the Greens' one shot at getting a system that they will actually benefit from in the future and be able to gain more seats, because they're currently the biggest losers under the current system. So they have no incentive to rock the boat until then. Mm -hmm. So so I know, I know they're, they're still fairly new. Um, but if you were to give them a, a grade so far as a government, what, what, what kind of a grade would you give the current uh, uh, NDP government? Give personally, a pass, I, a pass personally I think I'd say like a B out of five. The, <laughs> a B out of five? <laughs> a B out of five. Uh, that's a callback like to the strategists. Scale. They A former political podcast that always did shitty rankings like that. They've had some stumbles. <laughs> Uh, they've not done anything on the housing file that's, you know, one of the most frustrating yeah. things for us here in Vancouver and I think starting to affect everyone across the province. Well, but for the most part, other than a couple hiccups, you know, John Horgan's enjoying himself. He's bringing forward many of the things he's promised. There haven't been, there's been some saber rattling with Andrew Weaver of the Greens, but I think overall they're actually doing not bad for like every new government has its uh follies and mistakes but mm -hmm. yeah they're surviving okay yeah I, i'm a little less inclined to just in general to be friendly to the ndp but uh overall i think they're doing fairly well nothing that's made me kind of pull my hair out and go you know what, what the hell are you thinking but mm -hmm. uh um I think Ian's right that the housing file is the one where they're kind of have the biggest potential weakness on just from it's one of the things that right here in Vancouver was a major motivator during the election and moved a lot of votes. And now we're months out from that and there isn't a huge amount of movement on it. And that's starting to, I think, cause some people to lose patience with the government mm -hmm. but overall most of the decisions they've made have been fairly reasonable um the massey bridge was overbuilt <laughs> for what was needed and i think sending that back to a redesign was probably the best uh choice on that one um we'll see what happens with site c but overall they've avoided doing anything too controversial and more or less kind of hit most of the notes they uh wanted to yeah one thing that's been a little bit oh, go it for could it. cause problems i guess is that they've kicked a lot of issues down the road through consultations or committees or task force mm -hmm. even things that seem like there's only one or two answers like the msp task force or the minimum wage task force like if you want to find out how to raise the minimum wage to 15 dollars, you just do it and that's what they're yeah. eventually just going to figure out or to get rid of the msp premiums the fees we all pay on our health for our health care you're just going to have to roll it into other taxes and so 
they've more put to experts and committees and consultations what they really don't want to just do themselves because they don't want to eat that political hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, something, something very interesting. I don't know if you guys could use that maybe later on for one of your shows, but uh, in industrial circles where I happen to be working, uh, apparently the word is that uh, they're planning to get rid of all the uh, container traffic in Vancouver and send it to Prince Rupert. So it's either going to go to Prince Rupert or Seattle, and uh, Vancouver is going to become more of a port for uh, cruise ships and stuff like that, which, of course, will change radically if they decide to do that um, that uh, tunnel or that uh, – what's that tunnel? The Massey Tunnel. The Massey yeah, Tunnel, the thank you. Tunnel. If they decide to twin the tunnel or if they decide to make a bridge. So that'll be interesting to keep an eye on that. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't heard anything around that. It's the first I'm hearing of it, too, and it's – would be surprising because this is, I believe, Canada's largest port here. Yeah, it is. And it would doesn't make a huge amount of sense to me to shift all of that up north. Well, it, it does because the, the price of land, first of all, is expensive in Vancouver. Uh, two, uh, price-wise, in Prince Rupert, you're actually geographically closer to China and, and everything that's Asia. And you already you compete with Seattle. So I don't know where it's going to go, but like I said, it's only a rumor that what I'm hearing in industrial circles because I happen to be working in one of those industries anyway. So God knows, time will tell. Yeah. Um, uh, Let's shift the focus here on uh, not BC politics, but Canadian politics as a whole. How do you guys feel about our suave prime minister? I just saw, what's he, he's on the cover of Attitude magazine this week, I think. He's doing another (laughs) style magazine cover. Attitude magazine? I think that's what it was called. I saw it on Twitter. But oh, wow. so, I mean, isn't it, great, isn't it the, great to have a country where the prime minister can be on style and, <laughs> and on attitude? I mean, I think cool. that's just great. <laughs> I mean, it's the easy answer to say, at least we're not the U.S., and yeah. it's almost the default Canadian <laughs> Very answer. Very true. Well, I was, I was thinking that, Ian, but I did, I'm glad you said it. <laughs> That's part of Canadian identity altogether. <laughs> yeah. What is it about Canadian? Well, we're not Americans to begin with. <laughs> but uh, you, you feel that he's doing a good job as a prime minister? You guys miss the old Stephen Harper days? or? Uh, I'm... Notice the hesitation not, yes. in that answer. <laughs> yes, I'm noticing the hesitation I'm not, because I'm, I feel the same uh, way. It's a little hit and miss, I find, with the current government. I'm not a huge fan of this kind of style over substance in some ways. And people talk a lot about how the Harper uh, prime ministership and government was very kind of communications focused and uh, had a very good message control and it's a little even somewhat dictatorial in their approach to managing that on the inside. But this current government is just as strong or weak in that area and following a lot of the same stuff, just with a bit nicer branding on it. Yeah. Uh, so in that way, not a huge amount has changed. It's just uh, has a nicer smile, I guess. Um, in terms of actually bringing a bunch of stuff forward, I'm kind of disappointed on how they've moved on from a lot of their election commitments. Mm-hmm. Uh, electoral reform is a big one I was looking forward to. A um, bunch of the spending on some of their major strategies they've announced are now pushed back until after another election or two. That goes for both the housing strategy they announced as well as the uh, military strategy they announced back in the summer. A lot of those have pretty back-heavy spending commitments. And you know, with that, it's if you're announcing it two governments out, Good chance is not actually yeah. happening. Mm-hmm. 
No, I, I, I got to ask something because uh, his his critic Andrew Shear, we've talked about him a couple of times on the show, and he seems, you know, he seems a bit like a bit of a wacko to me. I mean, this is a guy who's hiring uh, ex-directors from uh, the Rebel to run his campaign, and you know, he seems to almost align himself with more than the alt right, but almost a. The KKK, in some sense. Uh, how do you guys? How do you guys feel about this? This? Uh, this? This man. The description of Sheer during the campaign was Harper with a smile, and <laughs> if you look at his pre, so Andrew Sheer just before he ran for, or just after, and before this past election was Speaker of the House, so he didn't have a ton of voting record because he was the essentially neutral, you know, referee in the House of Commons. But before that, when he was an MP, and if you look at some of his other records, he's got a very strong pro-life, you know, traditional values kind of approach. And I think that comes from his sort of Catholic conservative upbringing or family life. He's got like five kids. And so he's running ads now, or at least this one ad leaked out and we mocked it tirelessly a couple (laughs) weeks ago, where it's just like him awkwardly waddling down the street talking about how he's not taking cues from the cocktail circuit but from like tim hortons or whatever what <laughs> oh it's it's so awkward I'll he sees a black woman and he just goes hi what oh uh, my gosh we'll send you a link later perfect but yeah please do gotta please see do. This. so so there's that part <laughs> but then like you point out there's the connections that the conservative party of canada has been building with the rebel i think this predates the 2015 election but has almost kicked into overdrive through the last two years. And the ties there, especially as the Rebels just gone off the deep end and then yeah. tried to pretend it didn't, but still kind of did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it, it worries me personally a lot because, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of politics I don't think either of us really want to see come into Canada. Don't yeah, I, I'm not a fan either. No, no, it's, it's, it's we, we pointed out that uh, when they were uh, looking for the leader of the Conservative Party and we had that... What was that guy, Kevin O'Leary? Yes, thank you, Kevin O'Leary. Uh, and he was he was absolutely trying to bring Trump-style politics into the country. It was absolutely so obvious, and I'm I'm just glad that it didn't really bite. Uh, there was no there was no nobody uh, nobody uh, fell for that. And um, um, but I still think that this guy Sheer is trying to do a similar thing. Yeah, I, I think the O'Leary-Trump comparisons were sometimes a little overdrawn. Mm-hmm. He had a, a similar sort of businessman, uh, bombastic, TV bombastic personality. personality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you actually looked at like the kind of pol- what few policies he had, they were kind of more towards the left end of the Conservative Party, whereas Shears much more towards the right end. Although Trump also talked about like healthcare for all yeah. and a lot of. Not left nationalistic stuff, but mm-hmm. anti anti corporatist. But then doubled down on it. Obviously, <laughs> the Conservative Party leadership race was weird and terrible. But it's over now. And weird. I like got. that description too. Weird. Yeah. That's... <laughs> Guys, just make sure you tie down Nancy before if we start talking about Trump, because you know if we, if we unleash Nancy, it's not going to stop. And, and get me a bucket. I'll probably puke. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, Ian Scott, uh, what, what's in? Uh, for for people that follow your your show, and I recommend you do follow your show. It's a great little show. Uh, what's coming up for you guys? What's next for Politicos? Well, I think we're we launched a Patreon earlier this year, and we're 
assuming Patreon doesn't implode because of its recent changes <laughs> that I'm yeah. sure a lot of people who listen to way too many podcasts like us have heard. We have about 150 US dollars coming into us each month right now, and we're wow. trying to figure out what exactly to do with that to basically improve the show. And so mm-hmm. in the next... <laughs> we'll should, yeah. We should just start a Patreon. There we go. We can buy coffee well, with it. <laughs> we've had some success. We were able to purchase the equipment that we're using, and that's why we sound nice. But we've done a bit of testing ads with that in the past to try to build the profile of the show, and it's had you know mixed success and so we want to try and find ways to do more and i think one thing we've done a couple times that we really enjoyed was live shows where we just have sort of a pub night with our listeners and fans because being a bc politics focused podcast most of our fans are either here in vancouver and victoria of course and so i think we'd love to do a show in victoria we'd love to do more things here in vancouver even just more pub nights Mm -hmm. just to meet those kind of people and probably more interviews. I think we really like talking to academics, getting sort of into the policy weeds of some of these questions, because it's too often that the newspapers or TV TV news, if anyone still watches that, can only just touch on an issue. But when you can yeah. sit down with a tax economist or with a person who, like Tom Davidoff, who specializes in housing economics here in Vancouver, mm. and just really say, set the politics aside for a second, what should we do to fix this problem? And then from there, you can start to push the politicians, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Ian, Scott, thank you so much for joining us on the show. I certainly appreciate that. Um, before I let you go, i got to have you say, hey, guys, uh, this is Ian and Scott from Politicos, and we took a left at the valley. This is Ian and Scott from Politicos, and we took a left at the valley. And that was Ian Bushfield and Scott from Politicos. Great guys. Of, yeah, a couple of really good guys. And, I, I would fully yeah. suggest anybody who's interested in Canadian politics, BC politics, if you just want a break from American politics, yeah. just listen to their podcast. It's amazing. Well, it's not just that. It's, it's, uh, they're actually putting in you know uh, a bit of a need because, uh, like you said, it's you, you have so much American news and we're so close to them and we hear about it mm-hmm. all the time. And you get to a point that you have no idea what goes on into your own province. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I had no idea that there was a referendum about the um, uh, ele- uh, electoral reform mm-hmm. until I listened to their podcast. I'm like, wait a second, this is amazing. Yeah, exactly. So, and, and you know, I'm like the uh, just like the average person. I I don't like politics. I don't like uh, talking to about it. I don't like necessarily listening about it either. But I understand the power it has, so I have to get into it. And then there's me who just listens to hours and hours of poli- political talk because I love it there's and nobody, I'm weird. <laughs> there's nobody else like you, Dave. We know that. Uh, no. <laughs> no, we'll have to have them on on a regular basis because it's always good to know what's going on. And then, of course, when the ruling comes comes down with the um, Trinity Western, it'd be good to have them dissect it and analyze it. Absolutely. Absolutely. We will have them on again. Yep. So thank you so much for being on the show with us today. You can follow us at leftandvalley.com. You can follow us at on Facebook. Facebook, like you were watching right live now, right now, or you can follow us on Twitter at LETV Podcast. Send us an email at left at valley at outlook.com. Mm-hmm. You can also listen to our sister show, So You Think You're a Skeptic, with our friend Tyler. That usually happens on Sundays or Mondays. It's on Facebook. Make sure to keep an eye on that. Yep. Coming up, we're 
Year's almost over, guys. I know. I know. Amazing. Next week, we'll be talking to Thomas Smith. I am so excited about yeah, this. Yeah, so inqu- uh, serious inquiries only. That will be very exciting. And then, of course, we have a Christmas special, and we'll close up the year with the best of LATV for 2017. Yep. And our uh, New Year's party, which yeah, you guys exactly. aren't going to know about. Something like that. <laughs> Uh, for for the next year, we'll be talking to David Fitzgerald, our old friend David Fitzgerald, as well as Michael Shermer. We're also going to have Damien Gillis, uh, filmmaker Damien Gillis, we had on the show before. We'll probably be talking about Wild Salmon. And we'll also... We're going to talk to Wild Salmon? Yes. Oh, we're going to be talking about Wild Salmon. No, we're going to talk to Wild Salmon. Can you make a salmon noise there, Scott? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I we'll, just did. We'll <laughs> also get into biomimicry. That Bio sounds what? cool. Biomimicry. This, Ooh, which is the, this is the oh, science. Oh, I know. I know about this. Yes, okay. it's where I'll, technology I'll actually mimics nature and decides to improve things. Like, for example, they have this paint. It's called a lotus paint. And it has tiny little bumps on it that you can't feel, but dirt doesn't stick to it. So it just washes away with the rain. Fantastic stuff. Yeah. So that's going to be for the new year. All right. Thank you so much, guys. That was a great show. I, I got the Harry Potter History of Magic book that I talked about a couple weeks ago. <laughs> I bought it. Well, Kirsten bought it for me. You know, between the pigeons and the Harry Potter, people oh. are going to think this podcast is about anything but what we're talking about. <laughs> hey, Harry Potter isn't a religious book. I'll bet atheists don't, uh, pigeons don't believe in God either. Ugh. Yeah. So there. They think they are the God. Ah, <laughs> uh, but you love us, Kevin. Yes, I do. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Until next time. <laughs> Something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. Now let me take a sec, don't mean to sound so hateful But I swear to God, pun intended, I find it disgraceful That thousands of children are raped by priests And since they're holy men of God, they get away scot-free And the Pope does his very best to keep it on the hush Don't wanna affect business, he loves money too much We know that they love the kids, but how the fuck can we protect them While they planning to molest them, we teaching them to respect them Respect them Fuck that. The system is broke down, working backwards in the only action of tactic. I plan to practice now is to attack them. The parties of God's hands are bloodstained. Millions of murders by believers, and they're all in God's name. And let me take a sec, don't mean to sound so hateful, but I swear to God, unintended, I find it disgraceful. That many atheists are told to be quiet, you're not alone. Speak your mind, time to let it be known. I'm Skeptic and non-believer, an infidel, a heathen, I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. I'm an atheist. I'm an atheist. I'm an Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? 
they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino's home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.